If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live on Four Legs Podcast and on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Thanks for coming, even though it's not cool to like this band anymore, you know. None of your friends, uh, you don't, no one will know that you were here, you know. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and whether you're tuning in for the first time or the 92nd time or even more times than that if you tuned in over a hundred times you're crazy and we love you welcome back to the show we are a show that primarily focuses on pearl jam and their live catalog so anything from any era that you can think of like say mm, the year 1993 that's a good one because we're going to do it right now the year 1993 versus we're going to go through a whole show today from england from brixton academy back in july of 1993 and we're going to break down the whole set and kind of talk about the era a little bit and that's really what we do on this show so let's introduce us randy sobel here john farrar over there Hello. sir how's it going today pretty good man yeah we've been we've been in the 2000 2010s for a long time so very very excited to get back to these early 90s shows yeah we need something raw we need to get back to the roots a little bit and i think this is a good one to kind of shake it up and uh you know this is uh we we have to mention that we're still going around the world. We've been doing all these around the world shows, and and uh, we because of the Wrigley shows, we've kind of been stuck in Europe, and we have probably three more shows in Europe after this, and then we can move on to you know South America and some other places. But uh, yeah, we we've we've been on Europe for quite a while, but we're. Uh, we're getting there. We're we're getting there. We promise. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I mean, I've loved it. There's there's some great shows in Europe and some classic stuff that we've covered. But it'll be nice to finally get on that plane and and go down to South America and check some of those out. Absolutely, and and that's those are the kind of shows where you know I'm not looking for rare gems in those shows. I'm looking for the songs that just absolutely explode. The performances like "Do the Evolution" and "Daughter" and "Corduroy" that are just the absolute fan favorites where they turn the songs into completely different beasts than we in the States or even over in Europe 
know of them. So we're going to have a lot of fun time discussing some of those. If you're, uh, if you're on the Brazilian page, uh, Pearl Jam to fly, we've been doing a, um, we, we've been doing a vote for our Brazil episode. So if, if you're on that page, uh, go and vote for what our Brazil episode is going to be. I believe some in contention right now. I think the Sao Paulo from 2015 is very high in contention. So if you have a show, that you love from Brazil and go ahead, go to that page and go vote for it. And uh, yeah, we want to, we want to get it out for those people over there in Brazil. Cause that's, those are some great shows. So, uh, but we stay here today. We're in 1993 Brixton Academy in England, in London. And uh, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on at this era? 93. So, yeah, I mean, we had the, you had the famous Slim's cafe show in May of 93, where you know they premiered a lot of the versus shows or the versus songs excuse me and uh they you know they've been recording verses they've been coming off that then they went to europe played those songs we we did that we did that helsinki show in in 93 where they opened up for u2 they were opening up for neil young some right. of those that was a patreon episode right. for those right. that yeah uh that's that's a good good time to plug patreon.com slash live on four legs the number four head on over um, and guess what there's going to be an extra episode this absolutely, week and absolutely. it's going to be covering another full show john do you want to tell them what we're doing yeah so you know we've been doing around the world and we've you know we started in australia new zealand and we've we've come all this way so we figured it would be it would be appropriate to cover the very first show that pearl jam played outside of the of of the u.s so we're going to go back to where it all started with around the world and south end england february 3rd 1992 for patreon this week yep that should be a good one yeah 13 13 songs or show or so and it was an unannounced show which is very weird for very early 92 and we'll kind of discuss how how those things uh came to be so if that's something that you're interested in and you're interested in and you've been listening to the show uh for you know whether it be the last couple months or or last couple episodes and you want to contribute to what we're doing uh it all goes into kind of you know us putting back in a little bit more and giving more to you guys things that we can do like the last fan standing competitions and you know just more things that we can get our hands on so if you want to contribute to that patreon.com slash live on four legs there's a couple different tiers uh you get a chance to come on the show you get a chance to talk about your favorite show that you've ever been to uh or if you just want to listen to the evolution episodes or the bridge school episodes or just be part of the conversation in the forums you know we have a lot of that going on too so there's a lot lots of stuff and uh we appreciate all of our patrons that are out there, you all rock. And uh, hopefully for anybody that is thinking about joining in the future, you all rock as well. And you know what? For anybody that's cool not being on Patreon, you guys are awesome as well. So everybody that's listening in, there's not one person that's not awesome, John. Isn't that oh, yeah, amazing? Absolutely. Yeah, thanks to everyone who listens in whatever form, however, however much you do. It's really appreciated. Yeah, thank you. That's right. And if you do listen and you're on Apple, uh, go ahead if you'd like and rate us five stars on Apple. It helps us out. It gives us visibility and uh, gives us a better rating. So there were some jerks that gave us a one. So now we have a 4.5. So if you give us five, then maybe we'll go back up to a five. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but if you really think we deserve a three, give us a three. 
I'll also I'll 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 take it. I'll debate it with you if if we have to. But anyway, I think we're getting a little bit off topic. Let's go back to '93 here. <laughs> so yeah, in '93 they they did those European shows. This is kind of the end of that before they they come back and and start the American leg. So yeah, they did they did two shows at the Brixton Academy. Uh, night one is is a good set list. We're going to cover night two today. Yeah, and night two was. Uh, that was that was a bootleg that was passed around a, a lot during during the early days. Um, pretty popular. Do you remember? Did you have this one? Or I don't think I had this one. I and I really wasn't into collecting like bootleg CDs. It was because you would have again you'd have to pay like fifty sixty dollars. But right, I I, uh, I probably didn't hear it until later on in the nineties when when like the internet and it was easier to to kind of trade those things on CDRs. Uh, but this is interesting too because they did. A bunch of dates before this, uh, they opened up for Neil Young uh, at that Helsinki show that we talked about, and then they opened up for U2 in Italy for a couple of dates, and they were not received very well at those shows. Right. Yeah, I mean, that that crowd, that was their, I think that was the Octung Baby tour, if I'm not mistaken. They, Zuro- I think it's Zuropa, actually. Yeah, they, I think it was Zuropa. They were huge. Like, U2 is the biggest rock band in the world at that point. The, those people didn't have didn't have the patience to sit through anything, much less uh, a young, like, quote-unquote G-word band that they, they didn't have any use for. Right, which is, is kind of funny because Bono went through a lot to, to get them to join them on that tour. I, I believe it was the Metro show the very famous Metro show in, uh, in 92 that Bono actually went and scouted them to make sure like that they were a good presence, which, which is kind of, kind of crazy that, that, you know, he went all that way to do that. But, uh, yeah, to, to kind of get that reaction, I would think from the band at that point, it's like, okay, we have new stuff that's coming out and, you know, Italy didn't really receive us very well, but now we're going back into territory we're going to London, and we're going after that. They went to Holland, where I mean, they've been huge in Holland since the very beginning. So, uh, you know, this is more comfortable territory right here, and they're in very much smaller venues. I think Brixton holds, I think I read six thousand, right? So, yeah, so I think this is this is much more comfortable for them. I, I would think at this point. Oh yeah, especially you know the way Ed wanted them to be at the beginning to to be kind of a a, a fledgling band and kind of work their way up from the beginning. Like, yeah, to go from, you know, it's a, it's a different atmosphere when you're playing those festivals in Europe for 50,000, 60,000 people. This is more their element where they can, they can kind of let loose and, and be themselves and not have to, not have to feel like they have to play to people who, who aren't their fans. You know, they, they're, they're in right. their element at, the, at these like mid-level club type shows. Yeah. It's much more intimate and they feel like they can probably play, the stuff like they play in this show, like uh, like Go and Animal, that are are not known at this point. Slims happened two months beforehand, so nobody knows these songs. And I think night one they probably played seven or eight of them. They play a lot. They played like Dissident, and Glorified G, and they held back a little bit at this show. I think they played probably more of the top ones: Go, Animal, Rearview, uh, Indifference, and one or two more maybe. But um, you know, I don't think that they would do that if as much as if they were playing with you too. I, I, you look at those set lists and and maybe they had going animal and that was it. They weren't doing the versus stuff as much. And I think that's part of it is the night two as well. Like they 
the first night they want to get everything under their belt and you know kind of feel out the place and just let everybody know like hey you know these are the ones we're playing this and this and then the second night you know the people have already been through the night one show they've heard those songs so yeah you might get you get a couple of cool things here you might get you know you get a couple of covers that they that they were known for but yeah i think night two it's and this is this is setting the stage and we've covered so many night two shows lately it's it's where they don't feel like they have to you know put up a certain number of new songs to play they can just kind of play whatever they want sure yeah and you know what they and due to the lore of pearl jam and what we've known from their catalog this is a pretty this takes everything that they were doing at this era and this kind of sums it up pretty nicely so uh we're gonna get into the set list in just a bit but we're gonna give you something a little bit extra so i had the pleasure of talking to uh, a friend named tom Pugh this week and tom is the founder of given to live and What Tom does is he takes people from all walks of life that have gone through difficulties such as uh, anything from uh, dealing with an illness uh, like cancer or dealing with autism or um, or domestic violence, alcoholism. He takes anybody from those walks of life who might not be able to go and enjoy the concert experience and he brings the concert experience to them so he'll he's taken people to pearl jam shows since i believe about 2013 so uh yeah so we i got got to talk to him this week and there are fascinating stories in here he does amazing work with this charity and here it is we did a little interview with him and uh we actually unbeknownst to me we got a little bit of Brixton in and I didn't think we were going to. So, uh, yeah, that's, there's a little bit of Brixton in at the end there. So you, uh, he, he was at one of the shows. So, uh, yeah, just a wonderful interview, wonderful conversation. And, uh, here it is. Here is our, uh, conversation with Tom Pugh. Just tell us a little bit how you got started with this. Oh, I mean, yeah, even the, so the short story is a long story. Back in, <laughs> back in 13, I, you know, at that point, you know, I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan, and a lot of what we do is kind of because of the Pearl Jam community and, and what have you. Um, and at that point, I think all Pearl Jam fans were thinking, well, that one show at Wrigley was going to be a one-off. You know, and I right. desperately, desperately wanted to go, but it was summer. The flights were just absurd. The hotels were absurd, and it was one show. What the hell was the point in spent? You know, and I, you know, in spending a fortune for one. Sh- so I thought no, and I went off to. Uh, um, I was going to a shamanic workshop in Sweden, and I was on a um, on a bus, and a live came on my headphones, and I broke down, and. At that point, it was about seven, give or take, you know, a month or two, seven years since I died from an overdose and was brought back by somebody who was in the room. Otherwise, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Oh, my um, God. So, and that moment, instead of listening, and it just, and I just broke down. I, I've heard a live now, you know, hundreds, possibly even thousands of times, but it went from that, logical thing of yes i'm alive and i haven't used drugs at that point or drank for seven years to it really being a body experience of i I need to celebrate this i need to honor actually having gone through that having got off drugs this that and the other rather than just going yeah i stopped you know and i was like what do i love doing i love traveling 
I love Pearl Jam, and they had a, a, t a tour in the fall. Uh, the one show in Oakland fell on my birthday. I was like, let's do a little road trip. I did five shows. Um, at that fifth show, got there super early because it was my birthday. I wanted to go at the front. And um, not we hadn't been there long when we started hearing these rumors that a young woman had been ripped off. And more information came in. And what had happened is someone who had posed as security had said, no, you don't want to be queuing here. You want to be queuing there. And there was out of sight of cameras and everything. And mm -hmm. as soon as her friend went off to the loo, he came and ripped off her bag. And she was, you know, hooking up with strangers and what have you. So she had everything on her. She lost credit cards, tickets, money. Oh, no. any Anything you can think of was gone, the value. And she, you know, and she had a few friends from South America that she was texting throughout the day and we were getting little reports but she comes back three four in the afternoon from the Brazilian consulate and the local police with all she got was a piece of paper from the consulate saying you can leave the country and I had yeah and I'd been you know I was there early enough to be first in line you know and and I said you know and I kind of put my foot down and I said this woman's going in front, you know, I don't give a shit, excuse my language, what people, if you like it or not, what well, she's gone through today, she was here to queue, she's been screwed over, she and her friend are having the first two spots, you know, <clears throat> and um, I'd met, I was at the San Diego show and was meant to meet someone from Facebook who got really sick, you know, not like a flu, but like a, you know, uh, yeah, a real, I mean, flu's a real illness, but you know what I mean? And she couldn't make it. And um, so that was in my head. I met someone in the queue early in the day who sort of mentioned they knew someone who did something um, for kids, just, just take, you know, just for kids, you know, taking kids to concerts, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and this woman comes back and I had this idea to go to the merch truck, not for the poster, um, which I was heartbroken about because it was the the four-eyed cowboy, which you know, I, which yes. is, I, yeah, and I just, I just, and it was my birthday. I wanted to kill a poster. I just couldn't buy. <laughs> I tried so hard, but I went there to get, you know, but I wanted the tube because I wanted to do a collection for her. Mm -hmm. um, so I went down the GA line and. You know, told people, and the great thing is that you guys have dollar bills. We have pound coins. So if you know, it would have been a real. She would immediately picked up, and it would have been like, "This is really heavy. This is weird." But because it was bills, and people were pulling in dollars, fives, tens, twenties, and she opened up the thing, and she was like, "Oh God, I haven't even thought about the poster." And she thought I was just giving her a poster. You know, she opened oh, it wow. up, and it was stuffed with green. You know, oh really my goodness it. it was a beautiful thing she wrote a sign um saying thanks to the faithful and looking after me i got mugged and um because she i think whether it was ed misread it or because of the way she wrote it being brazilian ed, ed was like you've been mugged in the arena Fucking hell! And then we were going, no, 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 no. It was outside. It was outside. It was outside. Um, and I had, you know, and I did that trip, and, and you know, it was a gift to myself. 
um, as I said, to honor and celebrate, you know, and I came back and I, I sort of asked a few friends in the, you know, in the community that I knew. And I said, hey, what, do you, what about this as an idea? Let's try and help Pearl Jam fans who can't go to shows. Go to show. Oh, what a great idea. What a great idea. And me being me, I was like, kind of like, yeah, that's great. And I was like, no, you're either you're either in or out. You don't you know, do it a quiet thing on the you know a little thing on the side and hope for the best. You, and I thought right, so I did you know thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, and that would have been you know the thinking process took a couple of months, and then I handed in my notice where where I was working before, and decided. No, this is going to be the real thing. It's not going to be Pearl Jam. It's not going to be quite, you know, just a little thing done on a, on a message board. Dave wants to go to a show. Let's do that. It's going to be real. And and if someone wanted to see Slipknot, which are beside, I mean, Eddie and Pearl Jam combined are our most requested. But as an individual, Slipknot are our most requested band. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I. It's a good live would, show. So yeah. I, I never would have, whatever it is, five, six years ago, you asked me, I'd, I'd have never, I told you, not, never, you know, I thought they were a small, I actually genuinely thought they were a small cult band until we got an application. <laughs> and, then, and then I had to read into it and I'm like, they're huge. Oh my God. There's you know? nothing small about Slipknot, including the, the members of the band. There's about, oh, I don't know, six six Pearl Jams in Slipknot almost. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, so many yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. Five There's drummers, whatever they have. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 There's, a, yeah. And they sort of, yeah, two of the drummers just basically batter um, <laughs> beer kegs. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and and we actually, and as I said, they are most requested. But the second guy we took was a young fella, uh, Declan. He was 17 at the time, um, with autism, horribly bullied for being different. And uh, I got a phone call from his mum two Fridays ago that he'd taken his own life. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's kind of every, I can tell you bits about every single show and we've done probably 60 or so. And there are so many bits about that show for so many different reasons that I can tell. I mean, he had, he got a 40 minute meet and greet with Corey, which is unheard of, you know, but there were just the little things of him about to explode because we were in the wrong seats, you know, it, because somebody sat in one of our seats. So, in, you know, that auti autistic thing kicked in. We should be in seven, eight, nine, and 10, but we're in eight, nine, 10, and 11. And, he, and 10 minutes into the show, I thought he was going to just explode. So I took him outside. You know, he was kind of a bit embarrassed because, you know, as a teenager, you know, often would have, you know, um, would be because, you know, he was with his mum. You know, she had applied for him to go. So he's like, kind of like, at, his favorite band with his mum who is literally a baker and the most archetypical baker you could imagine if you can imagine a baker you know working from home in a probably late 40s 50s that's beverly she's awesome but you know 
And that's and that is one of the reasons why when we take someone to a show, we go with, you know, and yeah. I describe it as that where like, you know, and I have an assistant that where their PAs, because if I'd given her, say, two tickets in the post, she wouldn't have had a clue, you know, had you know, how do you go to how do you it really would have been how do you go to a gig? How do you go to a heavy metal gig? What do I do? You know, yeah. she I don't you know, she'd been to a couple of, you know, they live in a real sort of rural part of or small part of um, Wales. And so yeah, we um, I don't even know what you asked me. <laughs> oh, you asked me how. We, yeah. <laughs> just how, how just how. Yeah, you, you got there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. So and that's one of the reasons why we go with everyone and whether it's in a situation like that to metaphorically hold their hands because they've never been to a gig before or someone's in a wheelchair suddenly remembers they haven't had their meds and instead of mum, dad, whatever, it's like, no, you stay there. We'll go get the water for you. You're here to enjoy yourself. Don't worry. I'll go find water, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, and you know, always take, you know, I always make a promise that I break. Um, We always go to the merch stand and the promise is in my head, Tom, just one item, just one item, just one item, just one item. Do you, did you like that as well? You really like that? Oh, okay. You can have that as well. (laughs) Well, this shirt's going to look good on you. (laughs) Oh no, I don't know. I don't don't quite go that far. I let, you know, but once they kind of go, I'm not sure if I want that or that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you, okay, we'll get you get them both. <laughs> because, you know, I've been to gigs and, you know, when I went when I was 15 to my first gig and I wasn't allowed to. And, you know, going to the merch stand, you know, buying a T-shirt from the show, those things. Some of the people that we've taken could have afforded, but we do it in a way... It doesn't matter if you can afford it. We want to honor and celebrate you, what you're going through, you know, sure. and that's, and it's, that's whether it's, you know, those, that's a couple we took to Fenway uh, two years ago and Steph was you know, dying of cancer and she died a few months ago, you know, and it was, um, you know, and I mean, Jesus, their medical bills, you know, we, they came in the day before we flew them in from Florida. And it was beautiful because, like, a huge gang of their friends who some just can't, you know, just don't even, you know, Pearl Jam's not on their radar. But it was possibly one of the last times they were going to get together as a gang. So that this whole crew turned up and we, you know, and um, but it was like, you might have cancer. And it was also as much for her husband, even though she was the focus, because he's going through it, too, you Mm -hmm. know. and uh you know and again it was like you know it's all on us the hotel you know the transport you know in that case that that was plane flights you know um and we always have an artist create their own individual show poster you know there's always a little nuance to some something you know whether a favorite lyric or favorite song or one girl we took to see um bring me the horizon and the poster was done and there was this little you know sort of uh, 
there was this girl, you know, within the poster, she was about this big. But she dyed her hair blue, so you know, there she was with blue hair inside her own poster. You know, yeah, and it's, you know, yeah, we say because you matter, and and that's how we try and do it. We want that person who, you know, some people that you know, we've taken people who survived suicide attempts and what have you. And it might be the one day that they feel like they really are important. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what it is. I mean, it's just that that's such a, I, I admire the the work that you put into it because, you know, just being able to acquire tickets and acquire hotel rooms and, and go through all the travel logistics, it has to be incredibly difficult. And it seems like it's all worth it just to get to that whole package and experience there. Yeah. And I mean, and you say about, I mean, particularly, and I just kind of like sometimes just follow my heart. Because mm-hmm. you know? if I'd thought about it logically, I'd never have done this. I did not have one contact in the music industry. Not one. Wow. It's not like, uh, you know, Jimmy Page is my granddad. And he went, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll open every door for you. You know, right. we, st- we still, even though I know the wife of someone who's very, whose husband is very involved with Pearl Jam, still don't get complimentary tickets. Wow. You know, it, it's like, yeah, you can buy them, you know, mm-hmm. give you go to the right, you know, and I'll be given the link to go and get the special guest list ticket. So at least they're good tickets, you know? Right. Um, we, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, now there's a handful of very loose contacts. It's not, you know, and I don't, you know, obviously this is a Pearl Jam thing. I don't want to meet Ed to become his mate. I mean, if I did and it was organic, that's cool. But actually sure. I want just one person of, uh, at a, high enough level to kind of go I get what these people do I know that Ed in London actually recognized you guys so talk a little bit about that like how how did he find out about you guys I still don't know Um, and I I do know somebody I could probably ask who may or may not have the answer Um, but what I know is it was what 160 miles give or take um, the odd couple of miles from here to there as a walk. And I started blistering on the first day. And, you know, <clears throat> I know tea tree is good for you. So I'd throw tea tree on. And then it would get worse. And I, and I just thought other oh, blisters are getting worse. And I'd just put more and more and more tea tree, oil, <clears throat> tea tree oil on, which I discover long after the event, that actually I was, all I was doing was neat tea tree burns your feet, you know, burns. So I was just on top of the blisters, I burnt my feet to hell. So, you know, I'm there to see my favorite band. It's the first thing we've done this fundraising walk and it's exciting. Um, Doors open, they're still sound checking. So you can't go into the arena bit. Um, I'm with my girlfriend, who's now my fiance, who walked with me. And they were sound checking, off he goes. And I sort of said, oh, God, wouldn't that be cool if that was for us? And she just looked at me as if to say, yeah, you're completely insane. You know, <laughs> um, you know we, we had GA uh, tickets. Um, before the gig even started, I was like, 
Jesus, my feet. I have uh, 10 minutes in, I'm like, I love this band, but I know they're going to play for the best part of three hours. Can you stop? Because <laughs> I'm <laughs> so much pain. Um, <clears throat> and then they finished the first set and came back and Ned starts doing his chat. And by then, I mean, I mean, I'm, you know, I was exhausted anyway from whatever it was, eight days of walking, you know, plus the pain. And and I'm and he starts talking about this organisation called Given to Live, and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I've heard, I, I, honestly, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard of them, and I'm like, fuck, that's us, oh my god. <laughs> oh wait, that is me. <laughs> honestly, yeah, that's exactly how it was, and my girlfriend was freaking out. I'm like, oh, in a way, I was. I mean, it was awesome, and <clears throat> but at the time, it was like, just please hurry up and stop. I'm in so much pain. I was looking around thinking, is there somewhere where there's a sofa I can sit on or <laughs> <you know? laughs> anything not to be on my feet anymore. Um, but then, you know, I've watched <clears throat> the video since and it's, it's, it's incredible, you know? And um, I mean, it was moving to watch after at the time. It was just, yeah, not fun because it was the pain. There's the, I, don't, I don't drink alcohol, so as far as I'm concerned, Ed, you know, still owes me a bottle of sparkling mineral water. Um, <laughs> but um, but the, bo- the bottle um, is in the office, um, which if I, you know, I, who, you know, which is kind of cool. That is very um, cool. I, I mean, I don't go and watch it often, but every now and again it'll come up somewhere or or i'll send it to someone and i'll watch it and it's a bit like and what the bit that really moves me isn't that he for however he found out he didn't just go oh there's this organization given for life that take people to gigs he'd very obviously he looked knew your information, it, yeah. and it wasn't and really knew what he was talking about right. you know? and that that felt so honoring and it's like you know I would love to meet him to say thank you. Not, not to be his mate, you mm-hmm. know, but just to be able to say, do you know what? That meant the world, you know. I did not know that you were at Bricks. So were you at night one or night two? Night one. You were at night one. Okay, we're, we're doing night two, but still night one, that's still right there. So, I mean, this was right in the that- middle of, the, 93 I yeah guess. yeah um, uh july 13th 93 and i remember getting the choices shirt and i was working for my dad at the time and and i was wearing it you know the next day really happily and tore it tore it not a huge tear but tore it on a nail on the very first day i wore it i was like oh no <sighs> But still carried on wearing it, lost it, was really disappointed, you know, and then it came out again, you know, and, and, um, and, uh, yeah, that was great. And it was just kind of, yeah, I mean, just like, holy shit, you know, I'm seeing Bell Jam in Brixton in 93 and, and it's, you know, I mean, I don't remember an awful lot of it, you know, not, not drinking. You know, I think it's just a long time ago, but it's like, hang on a minute, ninety-three. That's a long time ago. Yeah. You know. Uh, do you, re- like, I, do you remember in- that they played songs from verses that you hadn't heard before, or 
because they played a bunch. I think they played like Animal and Go, and this was very early, you know, a couple months before uh, the album was released. So you got a couple of those leaked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all one of those kind of like, you know, and it's kind of, and I kind of like those mo- those moments, but then at the same time, it's like, yeah, but I really want to, you know, I really want a song that I know, know, yeah. you know what I mean? But it, but it was, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, God, I mean, you know, we all know about, um, what's it called, Statcast. Um, you know, I can look it up, which ones, you know, had, you know, that I got. Um, oh, but, yeah. yeah, I, I mean, think- it was. I think that was a it 17 was, song it, show. It so was you great. Play. And I mean, and I love you. You never get a chance to see Pearl Jam in a venue, you know, unless they were doing some funky reason, you know, or right. decided to do something weird and wonderful, like a week long residency at Brixton, just because it holds three, 4,000 and we want to do it different, you know, that, right. That, so yeah, no, that was, yeah. Do you Brixton, remember the crowd at all? Got, uh, Okay, I'm gonna be embarrassed myself. I did spend quite a lot of the gig chasing after a after a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Ninety three is normal. Out until I was yeah, it was great, and we got on, and she went. We went on a date, and then she tells me she's from the Cayman Islands and she's moving back there. So they, you know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> win some, lose some. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um. But yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was great, you know, and it was, yeah, my first Pearl Jam show, there's been one or two more since, and yeah, it was, it's just, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird talking about it, actually, because it's, you know, I was, how old was I then? Ooh, six, seven, seven, eighty-seven, twenty-six, something like that, wow. you know, so basically it's like half my lifetime, I'm 52, yeah. So, half my lifetime, I've been to, into one band and, and and others, but you know, it's kind of right. weird. Yeah, yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. Well, you do a, a great job with everything you do, and I admire that you go out of your way to help those in need, just to put a little light in their life. And uh, yeah, I can't wait. You know, one of these days to see you on tour and and to get to meet these people and and to uh, to hear more of these stories, it's it's just fantastic. And um, thank thank you for having this conversation with us today. And uh, uh, again, give everybody your info just uh, for more to to look into following you guys on on social media and all that. Yeah, I mean, and thank you for having me. You know, it's it's been fun. It's been a- you know, it's been a pleasure. I, I always feel more awkward being the guest than the host, you know, but you've made it really, really easy. So I really appreciate that. So uh, thank you, Tom. Thanks again for coming on. And uh, yeah, John, that um, I just want to be transparent here. That interview was extremely difficult to do and it's has nothing to do with Tom and I, I love talking to it with him. It was a great conversation, but um, you have to understand that we had a hurricane tornado uh, dual combo hitting us at the time. So our first, the first con- uh, conversation that we had, my internet and power went out in middle of the conversation. So we started off, one day 
then so if it sounds different that's probably why and then the next day we had a little bit of trouble uh with the the connection so there might be uh the quality might not be as well and and then i didn't realize at the end where we talk a little bit about bricks and i didn't realize or even care to ask him about it because i just thought okay we're we're talking about his charity i he brought it up himself and, and I had stopped recording at that point, but uh, we had to get it in and it was incredible conversation. And I thank him once again for coming on, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, just, just the process of going through that, that, that conversation was uh, if, if you were there, you would have known. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. You had some scary weather up there. I mean, I, everybody's been watching to see what happened. Yeah. That if people don't know, yeah, that hit right basically right on top of you so yeah we're glad everything's okay up there yeah i I mean we got the least of it uh that that right there was was basically all we got our internet was out and by the time five or six o'clock came around um we were okay uh our power was fine um people i still hear there's a yard behind my complex and i still hear a generator running in one of those yards. So, you know, there people are going through it right now. There it's uh it's difficult around here, but um uh yeah, but we're we're hanging yeah. tough. We're hanging tough. Yeah, we're, and again, and absolutely thanks to Tom for taking the time and and getting getting to talk with you a little bit. That was fantastic. I mean, check out the website. He's doing absolutely great stuff. It's it's a it's just one of the another part of this community that that people you know, he he went out and did that on his own. He was inspired by the music. He was inspired by the band, and and he's he's changing lives. He's you know he's making a difference. So yeah, absolutely. My my heart goes out to him and all the people that he that he's helping. It's it's an amazing thing. Just another another amazing part of this community. One hundred percent. And if you're not following them on social media, give them a follow as well. Uh, he does from time to time on Instagram. I know he does some Instagram lives with, uh, some, uh, poster artists. So if you guys are into that, uh, definitely check him out for that. So thanks again, Tom. And, uh, now, uh, we can talk about a little bit of Pearl Jam and Brixton 93. I think we can jump right into the set since we kind of set the table. Um, Brixton, the venue though, we didn't really talk about that at all. It, it's kind of, it's kind of infamous a little bit. There's a lot of acts that have that have played there and um you know it really kind of made its name in the late 70s early 80s like the clash played there you know in their prime basically iggy played there bowie played uh clapton dire straits and police all used it as a practice space so this is you know i i I didn't know any of this stuff before going in and and doing the research for this show so this is a pretty big deal in in london yeah, you know, you think about London in the the mid to late seventies was like a a hub of you know rock and roll, you know, royalty at that point. You know, you mentioned a couple of them, but yeah, absolutely. And this this venue is part of the hub of of all of that. So yeah, I mean, you just you just scratch the surface on the the amount of people who've played there. I'm sure, but yeah, I mean, that's it must have been awesome for them to walk in and and you know because you know they know their Pearl Jam knows their rock history you know, almost more than any one of their era. So yeah, you know, they, they knew and they were, they were channeling some of that stuff for these shows. Absolutely. And this was a very popular venue for alternative acts in the nineties to go. Um, like I think hole had a pretty legendary show there. If you want to call whole shows legendary, they were on a top 10 list that I saw. Uh, but it might've been because that show came almost, 
months or a year after Kurt died. So there was a lot of emotion going on there. And apparently around that time or a little bit after that time where Kurt passed, Nirvana was set to do a European tour. And this was supposed to be the first venue. This was supposed to be the first stop in that tour. Yeah. So, you know, and like, yeah, this was a a big hub for acts in the nineties. I think you, you said before we went on air, you said Oasis had a show there and that, you know, that's a really big deal. Um, but now I think the venue is, uh, popularized for holding raves nowadays. I think they, they've gotten a license to be open until six, six o'clock in the morning I've read. And, uh, and it's kind of a rave bar. So, you know, that happens, you know, nothing stays the same. Right. Yeah. Everything has changed. Absolutely. I wonder if, I wonder if any of those people attending know, they know the history though. Um, I, I would say likely not, likely not, but, uh, you just never know. And, and, but England, England and London, they're, they're full of it. So hopefully, hopefully somebody has done their research, but we've done our research on the set list and that's, uh, where we're going to start here at the top with release, uh, opening the show. And the first thing that comes to my mind in this version is just the booming, drums that Dave A has going over Ed and I've never heard release with these drums before have you like this is this is like yeah 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 I mean I I gotta say this is Dave A ruins this version of release and this is gonna be a theme for me throughout the show in the quieter songs like he just can't he just can't rein himself in. He can't, you know, force himself to play a little more, you know, subtly or gently or however you want to say. Like, yeah, it's it's absolutely overwhelming. Yeah, it is the first thing you notice when, when the song starts. so much credit to to Matt Cameron who is much more of a dynamic drummer and can can do the hard stuff just as well but can also he also knows when to step back and knows when the song needs a little more of a gentle touch so yeah this this is not I immediately I was like oh god Dave A please don't uh, but yeah I, I I'm with you I thought it I thought it was intrusive to say the least do you think that those type of things and him being a little bit too showy and a little bit too, you know, like, I guess you could say attention heavy with, with his uh, his style of play. Do you think those things ended up turning off the band? Because I know it was it was a myriad of, of, of different stylistic and idealistic um, reasons of why he, he, he left, ultimately, why he was terminated. But do you think this was one of them? I do. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the nose. I think, 
like he was he was a square peg trying to fit in a round hole he just he he's i mean he's great on the faster songs on the up-tempo songs and the loud songs he he's fantastic on those songs and yeah he but yeah i think he just he didn't fit with with where they were going they they were trying to move away from that kind of bombastic you know sound they wanted to experiment and do some quieter things like there's some stuff like that on verses you know elderly woman and indifference and you know daughter and yeah and i'm sure it was it was tough for him in the studio you know we we talked about in rearview mirror where you hear him throw his sticks against the walls he's so frustrated trying to get a take of that but yeah i absolutely think it was it was part of that i think if yeah i gotta think if the band had listened to this they would have been like okay band meeting without Dave A. like what are we going to do about this like i can imagine that meeting happening like they you got to talk to him and be like dude like what are you doing like this is a this is a quiet song you got to play you got to play differently it's it's not that type of song yeah not every song has to be a molly crew song I think that's, <laughs> that's Dave A's mentality. Yeah. He yeah. wants he wants that limelight. He wants everything to be. Are you ready to rock? Yeah. Like I think that's that, that's what he wanted to be in this band, and they just weren't that personality. They were like, okay, we we want we're more artsy. We you know we have kind of a vision for this. We don't just want to entertain. There's there's. There's style. There's 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 more that Dynamics. goes to it. Dynamics. Yeah, right. Think about think about uh, you know we talked about Jane's Addiction a few weeks ago and how right. that was a big influence on them. They could go really quiet or really loud. You talk about the Pixies who were like obviously a big influence on Nirvana. Talk about quiet and loud. Talk about uh, oh, I had someone else in mind, but oh, uh, talk about Fugazi who was was doing that from early on too, and that was a big influence on Ed. They could go really quiet. They could go really loud and. I think that that's just not in Dave's repertoire. That's just not something he can do. Yeah, and and that's a, that's okay. Look, and that's not as much of a trash on Dave as it is just who he is. He's that type of person that wants to be the rock star and wants to be in that limelight and and it's okay that he is. It just didn't work for Pearl Jam. That's that's all we're trying to and it and it look, I think it did worked pretty well in 92 and it did work well even in, in parts of 93 and 94 too, but mm-hmm. where it didn't work was the overall ideal ideological. Uh, yeah. I mean, a, a year later he was, he was fired. So yeah, I think absolutely this had, this had something to do with it. I'm, I'm sure this is not the only show where this happened. Yeah. I, I, I can imagine we, us in the future, we're going to probably go through shows in 93 and 94 and we're going to notice that some things are coming out of Dave A and we're like, all right, we can go back to that version of re- release and we can kind of tie the, tie it all together with that. So yeah, very, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. All these things kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of dissecting the history of the band in with, within the show. And I think there's a lot of that, that we can see. And and one of the things, of course, when we're talking about history of the band and, you know, Eddie stone, Jeff, all of them just always want to make sure that people are safe. And this version of even flow seems to be a little bit on the rowdy side because they're in mid chorus. Ed stops the song and notices that somebody fell down and he wants to make sure that Somebody fell down, let's make 
surely If everyone could take three steps backwards the way they came in. Sounds right. I know that they've done it a bunch of times. Yeah, I don't know if it was a direct reference, but yeah, that's that's the that's the standard for like make some room. Right, right. And I wasn't saying that 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 was uh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm just saying that you know it, it's it's fun to see the connection because we know what happened later on in later years. Uh, but yeah, this tells me here that the crowd is is pretty intense, and you know this is obviously coming off a release a song that people aren't going to be moving around a lot uh, for a lot even flow is one of your three most popular songs that's the complete opposite oh yeah and it, if someone goes down to like dangerous dangerous things can happen so yeah. he was absolutely right to, to stop it and make sure it's and kudos to him for for watching and like noticing like hey there was a face there that's not there so yeah and he, he does the thing where he like he, he he takes a minute to like memorize all their faces like right. I'm counting you guys I'm counting <laughs> but yeah I mean it's it's scary stuff if you think back to you know the people who were there in those early 90s like the mosh pits and stuff like there was no regard for human safety so I'm, I'm I can only imagine what stuff was like like I I went to shows like like the Green Day show I saw in, in 1997 was one of the most violent shows I've ever been to so yeah, I can I can see like you know, and that's the thing you you watch out for people you're with, and I'm I'm glad you know I'm glad this this one worked out and they they avoided tragedy at this point. Yep, uh, and that's something that even going back to last week too, we were talking about that. They're still very mindful of it to this day. You know, they're they're always, and, and even even so, like I think what we talked about last week was that it's got to be in their heads in the middle of the show that they're playing and they're they got to be looking out for this now because now this is on their minds oh absolutely yeah so you know and and small clubs it's going to happen all the time but yeah it, like to to get this on your minds early in the show they want to get this out in the open just just be safe be careful everybody and they uh they head back into the course right where they left off we've seen that happen before uh what was the last time we did that with Lucan at, uh, Lucan at Wrigley? At Wrigley, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So they perfected it all the way back in '93, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, great version outside of that. The, the Mike Solo is great on this. And uh, yeah, they kind of they take it down to a little bit of a softer groove, kind of bridging that gap between the solo and the final chorus a little bit. And, and it, there's a lot more buildup. I like when they build that up instead of just you know, just playing straight through and, and it just being a tearing solo and going on to the next thing. I, I like the build-up part. Yeah, that's Stone, absolutely. I I love listening to, and yeah, you mentioned Mike and McCready's always on fire during this, but I like listening to Stone and like the way he kind of shifts around the tempos and he kind of plays in and out of the rhythm. It's it's a it's a masterclass on rhythm guitar the way that he's playing on even flow like if you really listen for it, i mean the recording's not great we should mention that too like it's not a it's not an a plus recording but if you can if you can pick out if you have the ear to pick out stones rhythm guitar playing it's just a joy to listen to and we'll talk about this when we do the patreon episode too because it's even even more pronounced in that one but yeah uh, just the way he's playing and that this is this is the perfect tempo for even flow the the way it was played back then so yeah it was it was just fantastic to listen to him just just manipulate the song and just guide the band to wherever he wanted to go yeah absolutely so in between i don't know if you caught this because i didn't catch this but i did my homework i found a website that reviewed this show and found out what this is about so ed picks something up and says looky here it's the personal gifts that mean the most. Do you know I, what this I is? I did. I did see okay. that. Yeah, I think we looked at the same thing. Okay. Yeah, I believe uh, you know th- they were they were friends with L Seven back mm-hmm. in the day. I think this is maybe a a reference to uh, to an L Seven show. But yeah, I, I believe it, I believe it's a tampon is uh, is thrown on stage. If I'm if I'm correct, in that. you are correct, and that's why he says this is very appropriate because of the next song, which happens to be Blood. Uh, Blood being the number three song for a show like this. This is, I think, the seventh performance that they've ever uh, played Blood. The seventh time. And they're playing it this early at a show. What does that say for a song like this? And a night like this? Oh my god, I can this just explodes off the island speakers. Like, I talk about them sometimes. Like, it's... Yeah, what is a song like? And yeah, now it's it doesn't have kind of the fury that it did, but it, yeah, it says that this song is is explosive. Like it's, I mean, I, I can gush about this one just as much as we as we kind of ragged on on Dave a on on release. Like this is this is a near perfect version of Blood. I I thought it was fantastic. I I would love to hear them open with it at some point. You know, if oh, we can find a show I... from find a show from the 90s that opens with blood like can you even imagine like well 90s sure but i thought you were saying like for them to now open with blood i I they would never they would never yeah that is not a very good idea um you would never get blood as the third show in a set list from oh let's say 1996 through now (laughs) it just yeah. It just doesn't happen. That is probably yeah, one they of the were, most straining on Ed's vocal cords. Yeah, and they were, and we talk about this too when they have new songs. They're kind of feeling them out. They'll put them in different spots to see where they fit, where they work. And yeah, this one I oh, I wish they would have done it more. I think it. I would have loved to get it to, to cover some shows, find some shows where it's this early again, to see how it plays out. But yeah, I think 
it just to them it just it just didn't work. You know, it's not something they go back to a lot. But oh, I thought after releasing Even Flow, just to come out with something like this, just oh, I'm sure everyone there was pulling back three feet. They didn't have to take three steps back. The band had to care <laughs> of that on their own. Yeah, no, this is this is an awesome version for this to be played seven times in you know not very conventional settings because again they only did slims and they did a couple other things that weren't really their shows uh yeah blood is is not the song that the neil young or the u2 fan is gonna sit there and appreciate so yeah this crowd i'm sure uh took this in and and, uh hopefully abided by that that safety precaution but um in between you get a little bit of ed banter there's a little bit of like ed kind of you know, because the transitions between the the songs here, are, are the, it feels like a club show because they're stopping in between. Either ch- they haven't gotten the mastery down of switching instruments, or you know, just uh, you know, almost natural things now where they have to take a breath, take a little bit of a break before song uh, before song. So it has a lot of small banter in this. So he, this one is, I love you. I hate you. I'd rather be. And that gets you into Animal. So, um, and at the time, I think Animal, they thought, was going to be the sell for the album. Because you go back to the VMAs and the performance of the VMAs, this is it. So they have to be thinking that this is going to be the song that sells versus or five against one at the time, if you want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, was, and it was one of the earliest songs, too. It was on that original Gosser demo like it, it's a song that had been around for a while and yeah I mean, they it absolutely explodes off of this we talked about the tempo with, with even flow and how it's perfect this an animal I, I'll give stone credit to we don't talk about him enough like his playing on on this show is just another level like it's it's great to listen to if you can if you again if you can pick out that rhythm guitar part yeah animals great I, I love the little improv intro it's, it's kind of shows that like yeah it's a night too they're letting loose maybe there's a bottle of wine's already been broken open but yeah I thought it was this little section here is, is absolutely fantastic yeah and you get one of the classic Hannibal at the end and um, one of the things that, that I just kind of noticed within the solo Stone is continuing playing the same rhythm which I don't think we usually hear I think he he transfers to chords at some point uh, when Mike uh, when Mike is soloing, so it was a little unique to, to hear that part. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, it kind of it, it adds the tension of the song a little bit. I think it gives it a little extra a little extra bite. You know, it's 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 definitely he's definitely not playing it relaxed like he does now. You know, he's he's on the front foot and he's he's going for it. Yeah, yeah. that was fantastic. And eleven times there, it, this was the eleventh performance of this song. So yeah. yeah, very early on in the versus era, they're they're saying, okay, this is a keeper. This is one that we're going to stick with. I'd rather be with this one. Uh, this middle section, they're they're you know, let's play where, where's Waldo a little bit with tuning and strumming here. Um, what songs do these chords sound like? Oh, where where are you going with this? I don't know what you. <laughs> well, doing. I I heard, I heard specifically two chords that sounded like one one song that was established at that point and one song that hadn't been written yet. Okay, is this like is beginnings this the to those thing? Songs? Are we doing? 
Uh, no, it's not Hunger Strike. Okay. No, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I heard a little bit of, I guess, the chord or a little bit of the arpeggiated intro for Garden, just like maybe just that note. Okay. And then I heard what I thought was the chord for Around the Bend. Hmm. Right? I, I got to think it was just a harmonic or something. Probably isn't just maybe messing around with the harmonic, but seems way too early for Around the Bend. Oh, no. I, I'm not saying it was Around the Bend. No, yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that, you know, they yeah. he ended up playing a chord. Hmm. Like, that was just Stone just sort of messing around. And, okay. and you know, it's kind of like, I guess, the hard to imagine where, right. you know, Mike would just kind of be playing the and then that sort of turned into hard to him. And maybe, maybe it was that, uh, who knows? It's kind of okay. like, yeah, maybe around just the bend was... is kind of unconventional tuning. So sure. He's just kind of screwing around, found something he liked. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just little, little things that I noticed. I don't know if on, you know, if listening back to this episode, if, if, if you're listening and, and none of that made sense, then I apologize, but little quirks that go, come and pop up into my brain, I always got to bring them up. So, um, all right, that gets us into Why Go. I thought Why Go was a highlight of this night, and I easily think out of this era, it's one of the most underappreciated songs because everybody thinks about Porch, everybody thinks about Jeremy, everybody thinks about Alive and Even Flow, but man, Why Go gets really intense the solo gets intense Ed's haze at the beginning they're all they it feels like it's manufactured straight out of an assembly line he's just like so intense with it um it's a vicious performance of the song i oh yeah you yeah, yeah you mentioned ed sounds great he's he's doing all of the all the little accents that he does like all the ah haze which like lets you know that he's he's locked in on it he's he's feeling and he's he's just throwing out these guttural like noises during the song to kind of ex- to accentuate it it's great yeah and, and jeff sounds great on it like yeah why go is is absolutely a highlight i you know i can't believe we, you know, we talked about they didn't play it for eight years which is crazy yeah i i and i understand like you know i think we've talked about versions of jack just not feeling the same mechanics the same rhythm that the song has but Let's let's not sleep on versions of Why Go that are this early. Like this is among some of their best live performances this early on in the, in in their career. Let's you know this, this is this should be on a higher pedestal. Let's, let's put it that oh, way. Yeah. These three songs too, like you know, this little middle set here. The, this is this is the Ed set. Like he's he's all over these three songs, doing doing all the little vocal things and yeah. screaming and doing everything. It just uh, he, was, he was on fire for these this little bit section. Yeah, and you know it, it's kind of funny because he gets so intense during these songs, and then they stop, like in between "Why Go" and "Deep." They stop, and he goes back to being this kind of surly, sarcastic self. He's like, "Why well, go home so Daddy can fuck me?" He does these little things, and you're like, "That's the same person that was just in my face, just with all this intensity and vigor, screaming at me like." it's kind of crazy that he can kind of snap into two different characters. Yeah. He's, he definitely like, and you see this a lot with, with, with front men, like they have their, 
you know, regular persona and then they have their stage persona. I'm not sure if, if and a lot of times it's, I don't mean to imply that it was calculated. I think that's just part of it when you're on stage and you're, you're feeling the music and you got this amazing, powerful force of nature behind you. Like, yeah, it, it'll do something to you like psychologically for sure. I, I don't blame them at all. Yeah. It's, you become a different person on stage with, yeah. with you know, with all this stuff going on. Yeah. It's kind of, there's some ego involved and there's some, uh, narciss narcissistic, um, you know, just everybody paying attention to you and you holding that power. And sometimes, you know, you can abuse it by saying stupid shit or just many people have. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think Ed is usually aware of his power and sometimes scared of it. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic when it, when it plays out a little bit, but um, like you said, in the middle here, Deep and Jeremy, like these are just classic type versions of these of these songs. Uh, Deep drums are a standout in this. Eddie's kind of doing that little sarcastic relay of the chorus in it, where he's not actually singing the lyrics, but he's takes the needle deep. Yeah, can't touch the bottom. Again, he's got the power of the microphone, and he can do whatever he wants. At this point. It's it's kind of crazy. Oh yeah, and in Jer in Jeremy too, he does the little spoken part mm -hmm. of the the, the chorus. Didn't give affection, and then that he screams that fuck, and like it's it's powerful. just uh that, that that's classic for this song so that takes us you know it's it's funny because uh, this was unintentional but it kind of takes us into another chance where ed really kind of gets to tap into you know being higher on his pedestal and it's the one song in their arsenal right now 
that Ed gets to play on guitar and that's rearview mirror. And, and people at this time don't know it. It's the ninth all time performance. And I think they probably played it in night one. I don't remember, but I would think that they probably did. Um, but yeah, I think this is good practice for, uh, our evolution episode that we're going to be doing at the end of the month. So, uh, you want to take a stab at it or. Yeah. I just think it's, it's part of his kind of coming into his own as a guitar player. You know, he, I'm sure it was, it would have been easy for him to have written this and been like, Oh, Stone, you know, you're going to play this part. I'm just going to keep being the singer. But it, it took a, a leap of faith for him to kind of like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to strap on the guitar and I'm going to play this, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure it, it took a lot of, a lot of practice. You know, you, if it's, if it's not something you're familiar or not, not something you're used to be doing, it's, it's easy to fuck it up. And like, it's, I'm sure he wanted to, to make sure it was done the right way. So yeah, it's just, it's part of him establishing his style as a guitar player. Like, you know, he, he has that kind of hard rudimentary. And again, that's not an insult. He kind of has that hard style where he, he strums really hard and he puts his head down and really focuses and tries to tries to break those strings every time he plays. And it, he, he plays guitar like he sings, like he puts everything he has into it. And that, this is part of that. And, you know, this this doesn't have, you know, it's it's not a seven or eight minute version. It doesn't doesn't go into like kind of meandering places in the bridge like like a lot of them do, you know, in the modern era. But, yeah, it's early versions are important because it's it's him establishing his his guitar style absolutely and and i've said it before i don't think at this stage of his career he was that talented of a musician he's not like stone is classically trained compared to ed at this point like stone is on a completely different level uh than than ed is and ed is really just kind of it's you know him almost doing it as an activity you know that he's able to go out there and do it and and obviously as time goes along he he develops songs like just breathe and uh you know other other amazing songs and, and even covers like you've got to hide your love away and and uh, uh i won't back down and things like that that he can do that he really puts on a show out there but yeah like you said taking the leap leap of faith and and the song is still really in its developmental stages uh like you said not a lot on the bridge but that jeff bass part doesn't bridge the gap in between that uh that saw things uh part uh uh you know there's still there's still mechanics that need to be worked with this song yeah and it's and like i said we'll get in like it's yeah this is a great kind of tease for the evolution episode and there's no there's no belting moment on when when uh ed has a chance to rear view me he i don't know if it's like maybe again that's like him and him trying to get his guitar parts down where he completely just misses the screen. I I think that probably was it, if I had to guess. Yeah, I would think he was just trying to to nail that guitar part, absolutely. Yeah, and and look, this is going to, in years and years later, uh, this is going to be a song that John and I say that there's never a bad version, and uh, this is is definitely a growing version, and and I, I love hearing that it had some evolution to it and it wasn't, you know, pitch perfect to, to begin its lifespan. I think we're going to have a lot, a lot of different talking points when it gets to that episode. So stay tuned. That should be a lot of fun. Um, this is interesting. We get a little bit of a, a little bit of Rolling Stones. I wouldn't say, I think it's kind of improv but it's not, I, it's probably not on the set list. That's for sure. Uh, but Stone is playing the rhythm of Beast of Burden and, Ed is kind of just 
fucking around. Fucking leave me alone. I'll never be your beast of learning. I'm a stupid fuck, I don't know nothing. All I want is to drink, maybe with just one other person. Am I hard enough? Am I tough enough? I don't give a fuck. I just want to live life and be dumb and happy like an American. All I want is for you to make love to me. That's just in the song, I don't mean it. I gotta think this is, you know, maybe a mic thing. Maybe he just kind of picked up on it and then Stone picked up on it after that. You might be right, yeah. I think there were, there's been a few shows back in the early 90s where any kind of downtime, like you mentioned with the hard to imagine thing, he would just start playing the riff to Beast of Burden, like just to, you know, entertain himself. But yeah, Ed kind of picks up on it and, and starts improving some lyrics and it's it gets kind of funny. He does a little bit of mud honey too, throws a little bit of sucky Suck dry, dry in there yeah. at the end, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I thought it was I thought it was kind of a nice loose like kind of reminder of like, you know, after those those four, five, six intense songs to kinda like Okay, let's kind of take a breath here, and we'll do something funny, and you know, we'll kind of like give everyone a breather. You know, I thought it, I thought it worked well. I, I enjoyed it. it. You know, it's just another side to them that that comes out on stage. Like, not many bands can get away with doing that. And if you look at some set lists before and after this night, you can tell that the Stones are probably a pretty big influence around them at the time. And of course, they're they're in London, so you know exactly when they're of course you know, mimic, mimic the greats. But, uh, there was a show where they tagged Ruby Tuesday off a daughter and they teased sympathy for the devil before porch at at one of those, uh, you two shows. There was a waiting on a friend too, right? Uh, If I'm not mistaken, from back then pop up a couple of times. Oh, I'm I'm not sure from back then. I don't remember, but you could, you could be right. Yeah. You could be right. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's interesting Angie, because I think an Angie too in there maybe. There's definitely an Angie somewhere. Absolutely yeah. an Angie. Uh, but yeah. I, like you know, there's certain points in the band's history where you can say like Ed was was feeling Fugazi uh, during a tour in '94 or in '92, um, or he was feeling certain bands and and what their um, I guess overall influences at that time where they were. And I, I think you're right with Mike. I think that Mike is more of a stones guy than anybody else. Yeah. I think that that's, that was a, that's his, you know, part that he brings into the, to the guitar playing. That's he's, he's definitely got a little bit of Keith Richards in him. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I hope he never dies. I hope that, I hope that's the case. Uh, so, uh, Segue into a live. Ed says, 1991, the year of blank. Were you able to tell what he said? I could not. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, again, that's the, the where... The recording's not great. Right. There's and a lot of crowd noise. 
Yeah, the, I, this this point, I, I think I marked in my notes that some blokes are arguing about something or other. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So don't know what it is. Don't really care. Uh, it's alive. And um, I, I think, you know, more Eddie isms in this uh, when they get to something wrong. She said, of course, there is. You fuck. Just more of him just bringing out that that darker personality that he has sometimes. Yeah, yeah, a lot of this. And you can tell that like, he, he does a thing like, oh, I wanted to play this one for him. You know, he, he, yeah, Alive, again, it's it's up there in the edge of the you know, they're still channeling that early energy on it. And, yeah, he's, Ed's just in his, his intense mode all this whole show. It's great. It's yeah, and look, heavy drums in this one. Mike roaring solo. Uh, and I think Ed in this one was making sure that 25 years later when they returned to London that he wasn't going to have a voice. Sorry for all those people that, that dealt with that, but um, that yeah, he was uh, that that's how intense he got with, with this version. And you kind of have to when you're giving it your all on songs like Deep and, and Why Go that aren't as cherished as Alive. You really have to go full one hundred and fifty percent better than what you were doing earlier in the set. Yeah, and it's funny too because this is kind of, you know, even flow was played so early that Alive kind of takes that middle section, even flow spot, you know, the McCready section, where, you know, it would really start, you know, you think getting Alive in the middle of a main set, even for 93, is a little strange. You don't think that would that would fit a little bit later on. It'd be kind of the, to bring bring the house down. But yeah, it kind of, it kind of sits in the middle of the set here. It's an interesting spot for it. Right, which kind of puts in kind of a late a late game situation here with some of the songs that they play later in uh, in the main set that are a little bit questionable and maybe we can talk about how maybe those songs weren't supposed to be played and, and they extended a little bit so I don't know just we'll see when we get to that point but mm-hmm. uh, Black I mean this is great it has the great stone backups and Ed is kind of improving some things uh, in the middle of the solo, something along the lines of, you, if you don't come back, I'll do it, I'll do it, we belong together, kind of kind of deal. drums at the beginning like way too loud and it was probably made worse by the the sound it probably echoed a little bit these old like academies and i'm sure it was like a cavernous you know thing didn't help the sound but yeah like it's a it's it's a quiet song dave like 
come on, read, read, read the, the room. room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that, yeah, the beginning of it was, again, the same thing as release. Dave A kind of took me out of it a little bit, like just playing too hard. But yeah, the, when it when it picks up in in the solo and Ed doing the little improv thing was great. Like you mentioned, I thought always love when he kind of like the we belong together thing is great and you love. But any any time he kind of adds something to it, it just takes it to another level. So yeah, black black is great. I it it didn't Dave didn't totally ruin it for me. Yeah, uh, I I was I didn't even notice anything that Dave was doing. It wasn't as you know, as disruptive as, as release was. Uh, but I think, you know, this would be the song that, you know, he would make it a point to stand out on a little bit more where he doesn't have to, like Mm -hmm. it, it it speaks for itself for sure. Um, here you get kind of a combination of some more versus songs and, and more of the popular ones, uh, go and go is the 11th performance of this daughter follows that and daughter is like the 13th performance whatever that is um but yeah some of these early verses again like you're sort of building to where what these songs would become where do you think they 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 stood back then oh yeah it's it's great again like they're they're kind of feeling out where to put them in the set you know early on in the first you know 10 or 20 performances but again with with go that stuck out to me too we talked about with blood how it just explodes from their very beginning and go is is the same thing like you know that the way they play it it just there's no there's no guitar intro there's no build up it's just everyone right from the beginning just pounds you that one two three four one two and i gotta think that's i want to think like it would have been so interesting to see if because you know you can start off a song in a number of different ways they didn't have to start off like that they you know could have easily had an intro or start off it i wonder if that was something they did on purpose to kind of make a statement with those songs off of verses like yeah we're we're coming out blazing from the very beginning we're not wasting any time on some of these and especially to pick these two you know blood and go early on just that's what struck me is like to be there to put myself kind of in the in the crowd and like oh it's a new song and it's a new song and it blew my face off from the very first second like that would have me so excited for the new record but then again, you follow up with Go and you get something a little bit more poppy. You get a daughter yeah. that's a little bit more melodic and it kind of it has a little bit more of the Gossard groove instead of, uh, you know, the Mike screech. So and even even Mike's part on this is a little bit more melodical, too. So, you know, you're, you're kind of thinking to yourself, OK, maybe this band can evolve past what the definition of the Seattle sound is. Yeah, and they do a little a little WMA tag on daughter, right? Like even yep. another little tease of a new song.
I think this is the second ever WMA tag off a daughter, and wow. um, yeah. you know they're they're not doing the he won the lottery part. So this is the early stages. If we want to say the evolution of WMA tags, this is pretty much it. So all right, so here's where I kind of teased and mentioned before. Uh, this is usually how they end a set with porch back in the early 90s and they don't there's some extension after porch so you get porch and it of course is is doing his if you go home with anything it's one two three four what the fuck is this world right into your dance leave a message this time the lady boys one last time they were my single just go be my time by your life work your hair man full fast forward speed like if you listen to this show on double speed some people listen to podcasts on on double speed uh listening to this version of porch is like whatever nine times that speed is that's how fast that is yeah it is yeah they were not messing around that's leading to versions that you'll get in 94 with you know, classic, classic versions of this. And they were still doing the tearing at this point, though, the little Rollins right. band. Mm-hmm. He's in there. One of the, probably, I, I didn't go back and look it up, but the, probably one of the last times, I think after this this 93 tour, they, they kind of moved out of that a little bit. Yeah, that goes back to what I was saying before, the influences and how they kind of moved in, moved out. Um, you know, this was really the time, I guess, where they were doing a lot more Black Flag stuff. And, and uh, you know, once 95 came around, they would play around with things like atomic dog you know just little things little things that kind of and it's good that different styles have influenced them over the years that that kind of brings them to where and who they are as a band all right so i think here is where they would have ended most sets at this time but they extend a little bit you get three more songs you get once you get garden and you get State of Love and Trust. And you even get a little bit of a jam before State of Love and Trust, too. Uh, so they're kind of they're they're kind of in charge of the stage here. They're in charge of of their time and, and they're making the most of uh, of the fans being there and, and their experience. Yeah, this this was kind of a I don't want to say a letdown, but it was kind of after porch. I was kind of expecting like, you know the like a break or mix it up a little bit but i thought yeah like this is just a weird set of songs for this time i think to to finish off after doing that intense version of porch with the with the tag and all that i'm sure there's probably some at least threatening of some rafter climbing at at this point but we don't have video so we wouldn't know right i wish we did uh to come back with once like again once the early early versions just kind of sound butt rock to me like it's it's full on aerosmith you know for the time like it just it doesn't resonate with me that's that's not my favorite 
not my favorite style of Pearl Jam. And Garden, I think again. Garden the, have the Dave A for you. The the Dave A thing a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. I and knew again, it. Like, just no subtlety to his playing at all. Like it totally takes me out of the song and like it's the like, same drum pattern yeah. is released. The yeah. same drum. Yeah. <laughs> boom. Boom. And he does boom. mention too, we, we should mention the uh we'll get into it in a minute, but he changes the lyric to uh you know, to what the papers have gone there there was there was a little bit of a of an unfavorable review of a show they had played oh, a few days ago right. that uh, <laughs> that right. he kind of like I, come on dude I thought I thought we were better than that I didn't I didn't think we were like taking shots at, at bad reviews I thought we were we were better than that but he does throw a little bit of, of a lyric change in the garden to kind of like take a, a pot shot at those uh, journalists for for giving a bad review we'll, we'll get into it in a minute I'm sure but, but is this the moment where the 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 journalists called them uh, they said they were like Journey. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty bad, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm sorry for all the people that do like Journey and they, they fangirl out whenever they hear uh, Don't Stop Believing being played on the jukebox at a bar, but you don't want to be compared to Journey. Come on. Yeah, it's just not... That's not the type of band that they were, and that's that's the kind of thing that they, they had no interest in. you know. So, yeah, I can imagine them being a little offended by that. I'm still kind of surprised that they... Would stoop to that level and kind of mention it at the show, though. That's a little, a little petty. Look, you know, but look, yeah, it is they, what it is. They were young. yeah, they right, and I think at this point they're a little bit elitist because they know they know that they have the popularity and they know that they have substance, which not a lot of other bands in '93 do. And I think that's like they they see themselves as like being a little bit more important than those other bands that kind of just swim around in mediocrity because of that. Um, so maybe it's, it's one of these things where they're, they're so afraid of being in that bubble and they're so afraid of, of just being a mediocre, just alt rock band that that's why they kind of have to make it, apparent whenever they're compared to it could be yeah it could be the like let's just distance ourselves from this as much as possible like if we if we don't say anything then we can't just let it go right their their identity is so important to them at this point and if one person thinks that they're like journey which they're completely trying not to be then another person's going to pick up on that and and they don't want this going around they want people saying well, this is the next incarnation of of the Who, or it is the next um, you know songwriter, the next Neil Young type songwriter. That's the kind of compliments that they want. And unfortunately, I mean, everybody knows that. Uh, look, once you put yourself out there for the press, they can say whatever they want. Like, and there's they can't hold, they don't have to hold back. So, you know, you just got to live with it. And I think they've around 96 they've just kind of learned to live with whatever the reviews were and and kind of shake it off so at this time yeah he he, he goes back to that later too he like i'm 
skipping ahead a little bit, but it, it ties in with what we're talking about. Like right before indifference, he goes on that speech. We're like, you know, I know it's not cool to listen to us right now. Like we, yeah, we're, not, right. we're not the cool thing anymore, but you know, we right. th- like he, they're already like insecure about it a little bit. Like he already knows that they, they've gotten too big and they're not like in the, in the cool indie rock class anymore. Right. He wants, he, he still, he wants to be as popular and he wants to sell that many records, but he wants there to be like a cult following like there is Fugazi. I, th- I think that's right. how I see it. Yeah. They wanted that to be, makes sense. they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. Right. Exactly. And it just wasn't going to happen that way. So, mm-hmm. uh, encore coming in here and stone actually gives a little bit of a nod to Eric Johnson, the band's tour manager. And he says, was that, that not, was that not Mike? Are you sure? It sounded kind of sounded like Mike to me. Oh, am I getting my mic and stone? confused again it must be in that north northwestern accent that yeah. they have they're both very it sound, friendly it sounded like mike to me but was it you know usually early this is how i'm able to tell if it's mike early on mike has a very squeaky voice in the early yeah. 90s i didn't think it was that yeah. squeaky okay so hey it very well could have been I, i'm i'm not sure but anyway uh, they give a little bit of nod to Eric Johnson. They said, uh, said that he's why the band exists. And also, I don't think Mike was really talking at the time. I don't think he was comfortable doing that. Stone was more comfortable doing that at the time. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's it was kind of a weird. It's like not a voice that you were used to hearing. Like, and I'm kind of used to hearing Stone's voice, but it kind of came out of left field. So that that's what made me think it was Mike. But yeah, Do you think I mean, it was Eric Jeff? Johnson? The, <laughs> no, I don't think it was. Jeff. <laughs> I know. Split it down voice. the middle. But. Uh, yeah, Eric sure, Johnson, like the Dave. the tour manager, doing like absolutely invaluable work. And like you go back and look at the the PJ Twenty book from this time, and all of the like tour stuff, and all the emails, and not mm-hmm. emails at this point, but messages, and all that stuff going back and forth, and like having to to work with all the logistics and get these people here at this time, and get this equipment, especially going abroad, and all of that stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's a it's absolutely a, a task and I'm, you know, they, they picked the right guy to do it. It's nice of them to give him a shout out at the show. Absolutely. And, uh, and maybe he, his, uh, his shout out brought a little bit of good luck because this is just, this is the section here. This is where the band takes everything that they were doing in the main set and just ups their game entirely leash fucking up Sonic reducer. This defines this era to me. All three of these songs. Fucking Up wasn't being played a whole hell of a lot yet. This was like the beginning that they were starting to play this. And uh, and Leash was really... This was almost the beginning of the end for Leash, too. Once like the middle of 93 came around, they grew and and went on to things like Elderly Woman and Daughter and, and left Leash behind with, with the 10 era. And then Sonic Reducer, it just being one of those covers that clearly defines the band's identity from their early 90s. Like, this was as that I can think of in any early 90s shows. I I fucking love this so much. This version of Leash with, with just the dirtiest, the dirtiest bass intro... Yeah. 
it is one of the best versions of Leash that that I've heard in a very long time. Like it, it's. Yeah, I I agree 100. percent I'll I'll piggyback off of everything you just said. Like yeah, yeah. The, this this encore absolutely ties this the show together in a nice little package. And this this two night run, to be honest, like it's it's absolutely the right way to to finish off the show. It's yeah, leash into fucking up and the sound producer is absolutely gonna send this crowd like into a frenzy at the very end. Like yeah, they they it was kind of a long main set even for '93, a bunch of new songs, but. Hey, like, the, oh my god, like, I would have been in a puddle on the floor, and I'm going to talk about that a couple of times when this happens, but, yeah, like, Leash, just powerful stuff, fucking up the way the rhythm is, where it just keep pounds, keep pounds you over and over again, just doesn't, doesn't let up, it's unrelenting. This and is then, a Dave, this is a Dave moment that mm-hmm. is worth mentioning, that, that mm-hmm. this is, this is a, a moment to, to be proud of here, like early versions of fucking up where it's kind of the same as what they were doing for rocking in the free world not to take another neil young song but it was just like heavy 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 beginning percussion and like throughout the whole entire song they kept that whole pace And, and Sonic Producer, when that, after that, that guitar comes in, and you're just like, oh man, I just want to break something. Like, that sounds that's so where good. the, that's the moment in the pit where you have that one guy that holds his hands out and goes back, 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 and like opens it wide open for everybody to just run in circles. Like, that's that moment. It's, the, yeah, it's, it's a near perfect song stretch. Like, just on they they were on another level, absolutely. And then and yeah, I'll, I'll give Dave A some credit too because they they ended with a really nice version of a difference, and I and Dave A didn't ruin it. So good job. <laughs> it's kind of impossible to ruin that song. There's not much percussion on it, but like you can't play it. At least release you can have an excuse to play it a little bit like that because there are moments that pop a little bit. But indifference really doesn't. It stays very very level the whole time so i I, yeah but what kind of intrigued me about indifference was that they were able to take a song that nobody knew it's only the third time it's ever been played and to do it in an encore two setting where they're coming back out to do another song that that kind of feels unheard of at the time for the band um and you know they're clapping and they're they're keeping the rhythm with this this has gotta again going back to you know some of the songs that we feel are moving the band forward that's got to be a nice little uh uh a nice boost of energy to the band that that they can the crowd reacted to a song like this in such a manner yeah that, that that's a good point i think too like they you know, you wonder 
and especially since it was such a departure for, from anything they'd done before, like you wonder, hey, if we play this, are people gonna boo? Like, are people gonna right? Leave? Like, what's gonna happen? Jeff's got a stand-up bass. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. what the but, fuck are they doing? But I think it's it's too. It's a testament to the to the power of the song and the you know, the fact that it's such a well-written song. It's you know, it's simple. It's it immediately kind of transfixes everyone and like, yeah, you can't help but like kind of do do that kind of like slow clap that that everybody does it it immediately is like whoa like this is this is something mm-hmm. it, it has it's a song that that can command a crowd like that even a crowd that's come off of you know three songs like leash fucking up and son of producer it, it can immediately take everyone like you've immediately got everyone's attention again it's a song that commands your attention and yeah it's it's a it's a great way to end a set like you know talking about the third time ever it it immediately had a place at the end of the set like this yeah, and I think we, you know, there, it's kind of this beginning, middle, end thing with things from verses and them trying to throw things at the wall and see if it would work. Blood being the third song to set didn't really work for the future. Go being a mid-set song following a black doesn't really work. Reverse those two and, and that's what you get nowadays. Indifference being a set closer that has never changed which i find fascinating like that they at that time were able to to go out on that note and not want to go out on a sonic reducer or a leash it's kind of a a look forward into you know them kind of like testing out you know can we be the kind of band that can do a song like this you know can we can we finish a show with a quiet song like this and still, you know, send these people home happy and, and not get compared to journey in the paper the next day? You know, it's, it's interesting. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and again, it's just, it's a, again, I'll mention the, the songwriting just so strong on verses, like all of them, you know, working together at coming up with stuff and yeah. Indifference is, indifference is a leap forward. It's, it's, it's kind of a hint towards where they would go in the future and kind of how they would like stretch their legs and kind of test out, you know, what, what people were willing to, willing to go along with. And yeah, this, in this case, it, it worked to perfection. Can't, can't say anymore. I, I think you nailed it. And, uh, and that would be the end of this, uh, this show. So what do we do? We pick three stars off. All right. Uh, yeah. Obviously, obviously your three are going to be release black and garden. <laughs> Oh, Dave, Dave, we love you so much, but this is just not, this was not your night. Um, yeah, I, I gotta go. I mean, I, this was tough cause you can, you can kind of, I'm tempted to just go leash fucking up Sonic producer cause that was so great. Um, but my, my number three is going to be, uh, beast of burden. Uh, just, I, you know, it, it was kind of a, a cool moment for the beginning. You know, we, we talked about how it ties in with, with London and all of that. And I, and I got to think that that was just a little moment of fun for them and an otherwise like intense, powerful night for them to kind of do something kind of off the cuff like that. I thought it was great. Uh, my number two is Blood. I talked about how at the beginning coming off of release and even flow like, oh, here's a new song that punches you in the face. Like it, it's it's the one from the show that just leapt out of the speakers and demanded my attention from the very beginning. I thought it was a fantastic version. And uh, my number one is is going to be I, I'm going to have to cheat and and do that whole encore one that leash fucking up and Sonic producer just <laughs> took took the show to another level for me. And I it took what would have been what would have been kind of a 
Eh, so-so night, you know, um, I'm not going to get into ratings yet, but this definitely, that, that Encore 1 definitely elevated this by a point or two. Yeah, well, we uh, we might have uh, more to elaborate on in just a second. Um, so my number three is going to be Why Go, because I, I really, I, I just got this feeling from listening to this version that well, people don't really take Why Go for granted and its presence in the set, like I, I just don't think people realize how great of a presence it was in the early '90s because of of just the other things that were surrounding it. I think it, it just kind of felt like the glue to stick Even Flow and Jeremy and other things uh, together with, and and kind of you know while it was great. You know, it made everything else feel better. Um, I'm going to go off the wall here and say that it was great on its own. You know, I I think it's a standalone fantastic performance and and a standalone fantastic live song. Um, Number two, I'm going to I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat in a different way, though. And I'm going to say that my number two moment from this show is Ed's cadence and the way he reacts to the crowd and the just his mindset and and the things that he's talking about i I find it fascinating about what's going on in his head they're they're in this in this mode here we're in two months they're about to release their second album and they're really they're on top of the world and nobody knows the songs he's in total control and what he does with it is just like it's I don't I don't even know if I can put it into words, but I, I I'm you know I think we said before the crowd just gets glued to it and they they become mesmerized by it. But like Ed really held the pulse of the crowd during the show, and and that's uh, that's one of the reasons why I was so fascinated by this whole entire night. Um, yeah, Ed was just in in the zone, uh, but I am also going to cheat with my number one and. Um, I can't not say that on that full entire encore one isn't the best moment from this show because it 100% was. I, I can't put one of those songs over the other. It's the whole entire section. It's everything they did. It's the noise. It's, um, yeah, it's perfection for 1993. And it's exactly what the identity of the band is. I said that, that phrase about a hundred times during this episode, but it's what they are and this is what defines who they are at this point love it never take it for granted and uh yeah that's why that's why we want to go back and listen to these these 93 versions so we don't get to hear lucky face you know (laughs) we get we get the real version so yes we had the same number one we both cheated we both cheated and it's okay to cheat sometimes as long as you can make sense of it and you know not try to get the whole set listed to into a show, but you know, it's, it, that's, that's part of what we do here. So I, I'm interested to hear a rating because you kind of teased before that, you know, there were some so, so qualities to it and uh, you, you weren't really a fan of, of some of the day based stuff. So where, where do you stand? Yeah, it's, it's tough because you do get a lot of, a lot of, early versions of versus songs which is great they they all they sound tight they sound very similar to the album versions and it, it's it was great to listen to so that definitely gives it points but yeah the the dave a stuff that we talked about definitely 
took me out of it a little bit. I don't know that I would go back to listen to this one very often. Um, so it, it, my original thought was, you know, going through the main set, I'm like, well, this is like a six or a seven. You know, it's okay. Like there's, I you know, I don't love Once in Garden and State of Love and Trust after Porch. Sprinkle those in different places. Like, so... But then the encore is so good, encore one and encore two. So that bumps it up. I'm going to give it a seven and a half for me. Like I, it's it doesn't get into that echelon of like great or you know classic Pearl Jam shows. And yes, the bootleg is popular, but I think there's there's better shows even from this this little era that that you could go back and listen to. So I'm going to stick with seven and a half. I, I think that's fair. I think you made your point. Um, I I agree to an extent with the Dave A stuff. Like, I don't think it bothered me as much as it bothered you. Uh, but like, it definitely it it sparked my 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 ear. Like, I, I was able to notice it and say, "That's not how you play release and garden." I, what are what are you doing? You're not Jack Irons. Uh, but um. I don't know, like, it's just, it's so cool to just hear the development of some of these early verses songs like Rear View Mirror and Daughter and Go and Animal and Blood. Like, that to me is, you know, the, even the crowd reacting to these songs, I'm so impressed by that. And I'm so impressed that they were able to, to, to garner that attention. They were able to, you know, captivate the crowd in that that manner so i think that accounts for some and and even if i were to give this an eight or a seven or a six you're right the encore one and two elevates this so much that's all you really need to go back and listen to at the show to know who they were as a band at the time and for that i think this is an eight show but because of that encore one especially that bumps it up into an eight and a half for me so that's where i'm gonna stand with it okay okay so like i mentioned getting these early versions of versus songs are fantastic and like you know there's definitely some great moments it just it just something about it just doesn't fit into that that classic and then and you know with the 2000s 2010 shows they can definitely play around a little more they they play around more with the set list they have more things to go on and you you're more easily like they can they can like grab you with a moment at any time and it's just they just didn't have that that in them at this point yet yeah i i uh i don't disagree with anything that you said there so um yeah i but i'm looking forward to obviously touching up on this year a lot more and maybe looking deeper into the verses uh year like you know, the Las Vegas show, the Aladdin theater mm-hmm. show, which is fantastic. Uh, some of those things where they start to even dip into the Vitalogy songs like last exit and, and tremor Christ and some of those. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, in to getting those some point and then we can go back to this show and see this as kind of the, the almost the transitional era, like you were talking about. So that, that should be interesting. Um, okay. That does it for Brixton. That does it for England. Uh, we have three more countries in Europe to do. Uh, next week will not be one of them because we are going to go to the culturally diverse 
New Jersey next week. <laughs> um, yes, uh, we're we're taking a request next week to do Newark 2010. This is a request from Kieran Finno Saunders, who won our last fan standing competition, and it's also it kind of doubles up because our patron Matt Thompson also put in this show as a request. So Newark 2010 will be the show and uh, looking for it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a back catalog night, like a, an of the girl opener and, you know, random stuff from mid albums. Uh, It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be, we had this little dip in the nineties and then we're going to be back to to 2000. So it'll be, it was good to kind of like mix it up a little bit and talk about some stuff we don't normally talk about, but It'll be good again to to get back and talk about some of those later era songs that the a lot of them we we haven't hit on. Trust me, we'll be back to the nineties in sure oh, yeah. due time. Oh, yeah. Yep, uh, we're not leaving August without going back to the nineties, and I think the last episode of August is gonna blow your guys' minds. And anybody on Patreon knows exactly what we're talking about. So. Uh, all right. So once again, um, there's going to be a new Patreon episode out, uh, whether it's tomorrow or, or later this week. Uh, the South End show, the first ever European show that Pearl Jam did in 1992 in February that year. Uh, that's going to be on our Patreon very shortly. So if that's something you're interested in, in hearing, head on over to patreon.com slash live and four legs and subscribe to us because you want to help uh, and contribute to us building something even better for you guys. So uh, that's uh, that's what we got. And next week we'll we'll give you a little bit of a, a Jersey flavor. Newark. Excited? Yeah, why not? Sure, we'll give it to Jersey. Uh, all right, John, anything else before we say goodbye? Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I think we're. Th- this was a fun episode. It was good to, to get back into the 90s like we talked about. Yeah, a, a tough one to, to kind of uh, – taken and 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 doing sections you kind of have to go song by song with some of these early shows because mm-hmm. they it's it's just the flow of how they're playing too they're they're i think we mentioned it earlier they're they're you know the transitions between each song are uh are very short and you know the, they're not uh they're not musically prepared to to play a full set list yet but uh it, definitely interesting to go back and listen to all those things. And again, we love doing all the errors. So, uh, all right, let's close it on out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. And I miss you always for John and I. And thanks again to Tom Pugh from given alive and check them out on Twitter and Instagram as well. And, uh, they do a lot of fantastic work getting people to shows and you know what a what a what a privilege it was to speak to them thanks once again and uh to brixton to brixton and uh we hit england in this around the world series so we'll see you next week for jersey (laughs) you can crush us you can bruise us but you'll have to answer too oh the guns of brixton (laughs) 